We're continuing a series uh, called All In, and uh, this is part two of the series, and uh, our text is out of the message translation. We've been pulling a couple scriptures uh, throughout the Bible uh, that, that speak of our Christian life, faith, and journey in a metaphor as a race. If you read your New Testament, oftentimes our journey of faith is mentioned as a race. To run the race to win is the, the scripture we've been using, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the message translation. Translation, verse 24, says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. If you're here last week, you know this is like my favorite scripture here. It says, everyone runs, but one wins. That's just going to help all of you who think everybody wins all the time. It's not true. There are winners, and there are, you said it. Everyone runs, one wins, run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that will tarnish and fade. But you're after one that is gold eternally. We talked about this last week, but in faith there is no participation trophies. I hate to, to, to burst your bubble, but there's no participation trophies in faith, and there shouldn't be in life either, by the way. It's a tough crowd. Um, so you're those people. No, uh, There's winners and they're losers. Paul uses the metaphor in his church, in his letter to the church of Corinth, saying, listen, you've got to run this race like a real athlete. You've got to run it to win. It is not about just checking the box, showing up, being here. It's about a determination. It's about a fortitude, a resolve that says, I am in this thing to win. In, in, in the scripture, you see a lot of different themes, and uh, there are oftentimes things that, themes that repeat themselves. And I found this to be true. I grew up in a pastor's uh, home, and my dad's a pastor. I've listened to him preach hundreds and hundreds, thousands of times, and uh, probably messages on every scripture you can imagine. And oftentimes it's easy when you hear a scripture that you've heard before to just click off your brain and say, I've heard that message, or I've heard that thought, or I've heard this scripture. And I want to tell you something, there's a difference between redundancy and repetition. Redundancy, this is the actual definition, is something that is repeated unnecessarily. I want to tell you this, we got a lot of redundancy in our life. There's things that we do that are ruts, that we just do, it's repeated unnecessarily. But repetition is the act of doing or performing again, often to help memorize the action repeated. It's, it's really similar words, but one is we repeat unnecessarily. The other one is we repeat so as to learn. I'm just going to let you know, in your Christian faith and journey, there are very basic principles that we should be very careful not to exclude or not to dismiss, but we should give ourselves to repetition so as to learn them. Our worship is not redundancy. Our worship is repetition. We give ourselves to worship to learn something, to learn something about God. I, I heard somebody say, Man, you, you sometimes when we sing, we sing the same words over and over again. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Sometimes we preach the same messages over again. Sometimes we use the same scriptures over again. And as soon as we start living them, we can move on to something else. I, I heard... I heard a story of an old pastor. He actually he preached the same message five, five Sundays in a row. Same scripture, same points, same conclusion. And people are like, is he losing his mind? You know, what, what is happening? He's preaching the same thing over and over. Finally, someone had the audacity to ask him. I said, Pastor, I don't know if you know this, but the last five weeks, you've preached the, you've preached the same, same message. 
And he says, as soon as you guys start living it, I'll preach something new. I said, man, that's good right there. Repetition is repeating something with the intention that we learn it. Friends, we don't preach, we don't worship, we don't pray out of redundancy. We pray, we worship, we preach the same scripture, the same principles out of repetition so that we learn how to live that way. We've got to start applying. Maturity is not having knowledge. Maturity is applying the knowledge that you have. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's one of those scriptures that's familiar, that you've heard before, most likely. We're going to read it out of the message translation. Chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. That's just you should just write that on your mirror somewhere right there. Start runs to strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you, listen to this. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, when you find yourself weary, when you find yourself discouraged, go over that story again. Repetition. Item by item. That long litany of hostility that he, Jesus, plowed through. And that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I, I don't know about you, but I've been weary before in my faith. He says, go, go, go look at what Jesus did. How he lived. How he survived. How he died. How he was persecuted. How people spoke against him. And knowing that, that he did, that he lived, that he endured, that he died, that he rose again, it'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. I think as a global sea church, we need a shot of adrenaline into our souls. We need an awakening of commitment. We need an awakening of participation. We need to be a church that is all in. Can I, can I just tell you, there is an all-out war against your commitment to Jesus. There is an all-out war against your commitment to the validity and the truth of the Word of God. Our culture is on a rampage to disintegrate our core fundamental beliefs in the Word of God. And we've got to be aware of those attacks. He, he, the book of Hebrews was, was written as a letter to the Hebrew people. Some people say Paul wrote it. There's some debates on who actually wrote it. I sometimes think Paul didn't write it because Paul was, he was, he took ownership of the things he did. The letters he wrote, he made sure you knew about. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He, he wants you to know, so he didn't say that in Hebrew, so I'm, I'm not sure if he wrote it. There's arguments about what it, what, what it is, but throughout the book of Hebrews, you see that, they, that the, the writer is trying to convince us and communicate to us that Christ is above all. He's above law. He's, a, he's above priests. He's about, above religion. He's above rituals, that he has supremacy. And if you took Hebrews 12 and you tried to take the message from Hebrews 12, this is the message you would take. Don't quit. That, that's what you could pull, as simple as it is, but it's, it's, it's don't, don't quit. I, I'm going to tell you this, that any big, major success takes time. Small, smart choices plus consistency 
plus time equal radical difference. There's no get-rich-quick schemes in the kingdom of God. There's no shortcut to greatness. There's no shortcut to kingdom impact. There's no, short, there's no shortcuts. It's consistency. It's, it's, it's how Paul describes over and over about perseverance, endurance. It's not sexy. It's not fun to preach about. But friends, this is a marathon not a sprint. And many people are committed to, committed to the sprint of Christianity. When God does what we want him to do, when he looks like we want him to look, when we sing like we want him to want to sing, and we're committed. But as soon as it doesn't fit our box, our commitment lags. Commitment has to be given over a long period of time. Longevity is underrated. There's a book called The Compound, the Compound Effect. And in the book, the author says, success is not doing 5,000 things really well. It's doing a couple things really well 5,000 times. It, it's the power of repetition. And we, we, we try to get theologically into all of these deep places that we have no business being because we learned it on YouTube or TikTok or Facebook. And, and we think that we should have a, can, can I just tell you, it would be better for us to get really good at the basics. It'd be really good for us to just get really good at knowing the basic elementary truths of the word of God, like loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, like loving our neighbor, like, I mean, like just simple things, like honoring your husband and your wife, like, I mean, just like, just basic truths. We want to argue about all the peripheral to prove what we learned last night when we couldn't sleep we watch YouTube, and what we really should be doing is mastering. We should get a, some, some real simple things and do over and over and over again. There is a war against your commitment. People are in error. They're teaching heresy. People are deconstructing their faith and living in the ruins. Can I tell you something? You cannot deconstruct your faith and not reconstruct unless you're going to live in the rubble. If you deconstruct your house, friends, you're homeless. The, the only profitable deconstruction is to, uh, to equally reconstruct. And I think there's some things that we should deconstruct in our religiosity and in our judgmental spirits and in our critical spirits. There's some things that we should break away from the church of Jesus Christ. But friends, what we don't deconstruct is the validity of the word of God, the power of our faith, the true plumb line, the true north, the, the power of truth. Hebrews 12 gives us some ideas on how to run this race and how to avoid being slowed down or distracted. In the message translation, the first thing it says, it says, strip down. Strip down. What does this mean? It says, in, in, in NIV, it says, throw off everything that hinders you. So this is interesting. This is not sin. This is something that slows you down. I think this is the, our litmus test for what we should avoid and what we should, what we should participate in is, is it sin or not? And we got the, 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 the big sins out there. We're like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, is it slowing you down? It's not, is it right or is it wrong? It's, is it helping you or hindering you? And you have to be honest in this race of faith and think about, are these things helping me or all, are these things hindering me? It, it, are, are the news outlets, are the, the, the vehicles of information that I'm funneling into my life, is it helping me? Or is it hindering Well, it's not sin. I didn't ask that. Is it helping you 
or is it hindering? He says, throw off everything that hinders. This summer, Jamie and I, we were convinced that we could tackle some projects at our house and get rid of stuff. Anybody ever tried to just like get rid of extra stuff? So she took the attic and I took the garage. And we're going and I'm throwing, and I'm getting this, I'm just pulling stuff out of shelves. And I'm thinking, where did this come from? And every time I'd go to throw it away, I had this thought, but what if I need this? So, you ever had this? Like I might need, I'm literally got a package of bolts that I got on something five years ago. And I'm like, I would have never even known they were there. I would have went and bought new bolts before I found these in the bottom of this bucket. But I'm like, I can't get rid of these. I, I don't know if I, I might need them someday. I come out and Jamie's doing the same thing. She's looking through her old high school yearbook up in the attic. And I'm like, what are you doing up there? She's been up there for like nine hours. She's like, look at this. You know, it's it's crazy the extras that we have. The things that weigh us down, that clutter our lives. We're we're looking for uh, property in Wiley right now for our Wiley campus. And we were looking at a piece of property and I was with the architects and and, uh, we were trying to brainstorm other ideas to generate income on the property to help accomplish the cost of the building. We're looking at these, these things and he says, you know what people are doing right now? He said, it's, a, it's an incredible, it's a credible opportunity. People are making all kinds of money building storage units. I'm like, storage units? Storage? He's like, oh, they're building them everywhere. Anywhere they can find land, they're building storage units because Americans have a problem. <laughs> we gather stuff and we can't get rid of it. And if we don't have room in our house, then we'll pay somebody to have a garage that we can keep it in. And we probably never use it, never visit it, and we don't even know what's there. But at least we have it just in case. (laughs) Friends, I had a boat almost 11 years ago, and Jamie comes down with buoys and a rope and a life jacket, and she says, why do we have this? I'm like, maybe someday we'll have a boat. (laughs) She said, we don't have a boat. I'm like, we used to. We have so much clutter. Can I just say this spiritually? There are things that we add on to the race of our faith and the race of our life that have no business being in our garage, our attic. And I'm telling you this, you definitely shouldn't be paying the devil for storage space for some of the things that you should be throwing away. There are things that are hindering you that you need to get rid of. Get rid of them. Cut them away. Who cares what people say? Who cares what people think? Who cares if they say you might need it? I I am encouraging you today from the, from the writings of Hebrews chapter 12 to throw off the things that hinder us. Every weight that is all inordinate affection and concern for the body and the present life and world, inordinate care for the present life or fondness for it is a dead weight upon the soul that pulls it down when it should ascend upwards and pulls it back when it should press forward. It's not about right and wrong. It's about does it help you or does it hinder you? What do you throw off? You, you gotta throw off petty offenses. Do you know how much offense gets in the way of your race? Jealousies. You gotta get rid of je- insecurities. Do you know how much insecurity gets in the way of you being everything that God's called you to be? 
You got get, get, get rid of the hindrances. Get rid of the way. Well, it's easier said than done. I understand. But the first step is getting in the garage and starting to clean out the buckets and saying, okay, there are some things here that do not need to be here. And we took load after load to give things away because we had to get rid of some hindrances and some clutter in our life. He says, strip down. Second thing he says is, start running. Start running. Listen, if the enemy can't hinder you, then he'll try to entangle you. This is what it says in the NIV. It says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. If he can't slow you down, if he can't hinder you, if he can't distract you, then he'll try to entangle you in some cycle, in some habit, in some type of addiction, some type of sin. We think sin and we think like major things. Guys, sin is just missing the mark. It's anything that is above him in our life. An idol is not some crafted image. An idol is anything that we lean on or rely on that is above him or before him. Idolatry is rampant. It's just different these days. It's anything that we rely on besides him. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. We, have a, we see a counselor. Um, I call him a life coach. Jamie calls him a therapist, um, but that just sounds like too vulnerable to me. So um, we're probably going to talk about that next session. And uh, he's been incredible for our life and, and our marriage. And he said, Dustin, did you know that most of the disagreements that you have in marriage or in life are not even about that disagreement? It's fueled by emotion from other instances and disagreements. All the married people, you might understand this. The problem is this, but it's fueled by what happened 17 years ago when, right, it's called add-ons. It's, it's, it's a backpack that we carry of add-ons, and we bring those add-ons past relationships, past marriages, past experiences, and we bring them into our current situation. And we think the enemy is the person right in front of us, but really what's influencing us is the add-ons that we're walking through life with. Add-ons, wait. This is what the writer says. He says, throw off the things that hinder and throw off the sin that so easily entangles. You know, I think sometimes we have a, a bad idea of the word repentance. Repentance is like you think hellfire and brimstone. You think come to the altar and repent. You think all oh, these things. But repentance is, is not an emotional decision. Repentance is a turning. It's a changing of one's mind. Really, it's this. It's an accepting one thing while turning away from another. It's as easy as saying yes to God and no to something else. Repentance is a step towards God and a step away from the lives of the world. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things and thinking the same old thoughts. Now listen to this, it is deciding you have been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. Repentance is both a rejection and an acceptance. It's a leaving and an arriving. It is a no to the world and a yes to God. Repentance should be daily, a daily choice that chooses God and chooses his word and chooses his way while saying no to something else. If you ever want to get free from some type of sin habit or cycle, did you know the way, the way that you do not do it is to obsess 
over that thing. I don't know if anyone's ever been on a diet. The worst thing you can do on a diet is look at pictures of all the things that you shouldn't be eating. That's how most Christians try to overcome sin. We look at it, say, I want it, I'm not going to do it. I want it, but I'm not going to do it. I want it, I want it, I want it. I'm getting tired, I want that. And you're obsessed. I'm going to tell you how you overcome sin. Jesus, I choose you. You're all that I want. I love you more than any of those other things. I start getting obsessed with my Savior and stop looking at my sin. Are you telling, saying just turn a blind eye to sin? I'm saying, why don't you catch eyes with your savior, savior and watch what happens to your sin? My bet would be that when you go all in on looking at him, that you stop looking at that and you stop running to that. Repentance is a yes to God and a no to the world. He says, strip down. He says, start running. You know, even starting running is repentance because to start running, you have to stop walking. To start running, you have to stop sitting. It's when I begin to run after him, that is repentance. It's a yes to God. Start running. And I think this will speak to all of us. Never, never quit. Never quit. In the NIV, it says, it says run the race with perseverance. I, I wish the Christian life was easy. I wish I could tell you, man, say yes to Jesus, and people have said this and preached this. Say yes to Jesus, and all your problems will go away. I mean, just COVID can't touch you. Economy, no matter if it goes down or up, it can't affect you. You're just always good. You're always blessed. You're always, friends, the truth is, the Bible teaches us the world is in the hands of the evil one. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So for many of us, our commitment was tied to blessing. And so as long as we were blessed, we were committed to God. But as soon as we went through real life or real trouble, our commitment waned. No, all in says, God, I know you're the truth. I know you're the source. Come hell or high water, come good times or bad times, come sickness or health, I'm in. It's like your marriage vows. You say not just when things are good, I'm in. You say no matter if it's good or bad, I'm in. I'm committed to you. This is covenant. That's the same covenant that we make with God. It's not, I say yes to you, God, as long as, and then we have our list of conditions and ideas and all the things that he should do. I've talked to some really good people that have went through major heartbreak, that really love Jesus, that are really full of faith. Jesus, following Jesus doesn't keep you from pain or from struggle or from heartache, but it ensures you that you will never go through that pain and that struggle and that heartache by yourself. His promise is not there will never be a fire. His promise is that you won't die in the fire because I'm with you. Never, never quit. Endurance is needed to run this race. In verse 2 in the NIV, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. How do you run this race? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You look at him. You get obsessed with him. You look for him. You're committed to him. And I, I know many people, they say, well, what does that look like? To look at him. This exhortation implies this, that they should place all their hope and their confidence in Christ as their sole helper in this race of faith. That they should consider him their leader in this contest and imitate his example. If you're going to run the race with perseverance, if you're going to run this race and never quit, if you're going to run this race to win, there's a couple things that going back to repetition are going to help you. They're cliche, they're basic, but these basics will change your life. It's this, it's commitment 
to his word. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Anybody go to Sunday school? Three of you, awesome. The Bible, the the word of God, it's not a suggestion book. It's not a book of wisdom. It's not a historical book. Friends, it's the inspired word of God. If I'm going to run the race to win, I have to have a twofold commitment to the word. One, a commitment to study it. Pastor, I thought that was your job. No, that's our job. That's our job. If you never study it, you'll never know if what I say is right or not. You've got to study, not listen to other people talk about their opinions. You've got to actually look into your Bible and read those verses and listen to those scriptures. You've got to study it for yourself. And then there's a second part of this, because there's some really smart people that study the word. You have to live by it. The, the, the Bible is our frame that contains the picture and the race of our life. Without a frame, the picture spills out everywhere. There is no border. There is no framework. There is no parameters. But with a framework, the picture becomes beautiful. Your race becomes organized. It becomes beautiful. It becomes understandable when it's in the context of the word of God. So I study and I live by the word of God. It's a commitment to his word. It's a commitment to his people. Commitment to his people. This means Two things as well. Commitment to be in the corporate gathering. That means going to church. We're not going to give up gathering together. We are going to get this. This is powerful. Did you know that this gathering is not for us? This gathering is for him. That we come and we lift up the name of Jesus to worship together. It's service to God. So it's commitment. If you're going to run this race to win, you got to have people around you that are going to run with you. we gotta, we got to do this together. It's commitment in the corporate gathering, and it's commitment to do life together outside of the court. Nobody runs alone. This is, this is not a race that you can afford to run alone. And I'm just going to tell you, the people that are around your life, we tell our kids this, and we're really good at it. Bad company corrupts good character. And I know we think that we're exempt from that, and we tell our kids, be careful. You become who you hang out with, but I've got news for you, sir. I've got news for you, ma'am. You have become who you've hang out with. You have become the people that you've surrounded yourself with. So I'm going to tell you this. If you're surrounding yourself with people that hinder you, that, that entangle you, you've got to cut off some people. Well, I just, I just want to love everybody. You know, when I, when I first moved here from the Northwest, I started coming to the church and and uh, started working the, and started the youth ministry. Jamie and I were here, and there was a leader in the church. And the leader in the church pulled me aside one day. I'd only been there a couple months. And Pastor Steve, our, for, our founding pastor, he was the pastor, and, and he pulled me aside. And, and he said, hey, can I tell you some things about Pastor Steve? I said, yeah, for sure. And he started to talk bad about Pastor Steve. Started telling me some things and his opinions. If I was pastor, I would do it this way. If I was in charge, I would do it this way. We would, we, would do it. we would operate this way. And I had a decision to make. I had a decision to just make him happy and please him. Or I had a decision to have loyalty to my pastor and to the man of God that was over, over at our house and, and a commitment to him. Pastor Steve was investing in me, pouring into me, loving me. And, and this, this, this Christians are so bad at this. Under the guise of loving our neighbor, we'll drink poison. And then we wonder, 
while we're critical, while we're judgmental, while we're disconnected from the house, while we're disconnected from our race, friends, if the people closest to you spew negativity to you, always have something critical to say about the Bible, about the church, about people that you run with, I'm telling you, you've got to cut those people off. Cut negative voices out of your life. Block them, mute them, say bye-bye to them so that you can run after everything God has for you. I'm sick and tired of people getting poisoned in their walk because they try to listen to every voice around them. There's one voice you need to listen to. It's the voice of God. It's the voice of his word. And if the people closest to you are not telling you to love and not telling you to forgive and not telling you to be generous with your life and say yes to Jesus and put your arm around your brother and pick him up and forgive and get bitterness out of your heart. If they're not saying those things, they can't be your closest friends. If the closest people in your life tell you to give up on your marriage and give up on your dreams, if the closest people in your life tell you that you're too religious and too committed to the church, if the closest people in your life always talk about the things that are untrue and the conspiracy things that they've heard about the word of God or about the church of Jesus Christ, cut them out. The writer of Hebrews would shout it if he was here because he would say this, strip off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you and run this race with perseverance you got to run it to win I was studying focus this week how do you run the race with focus I was studying it and I came across this article about racing horses and about they would put blinders have you ever seen this before they put blinders on horses and there was this blog post that they were saying isn't that cruel to put blinders on horses and the guy was, I guess he was a horse racer or something. I don't know how knowledgeable he is. It was a blog. And I started reading this correspondence between the two. He says, it's not cruel at all. It helps them stay stress-free. Because if the horse catches some type of action out of the corner of their eye, they will worry about it. It will slow them. It will stress them. And they'll often run off course. I thought, oh my goodness. We have to get blinders on. Well, I just want to know everything that's out there. Friends, you better just focus on running your race. Um, buckle down, get focused, put some spiritual blinders on. And if it's out of your call, if it's out of your race, don't even worry about it. If it's hindering you, don't even worry about it. If it's entangling you, don't even worry about it. Because I'll tell you this, if the enemy can't hinder you and he can't entangle you, then he'll exhaust you. And this is what I found a lot of believers are at. They're saying no to this and no to that, but they get exhausted. They get exhausted. This is why Paul says run the race with perseverance. Run the race with endurance because it's easy to get tired. I remember when the pandemic just hit, right, March 2020, I was so full of faith. This will end. This will end in the name of Jesus. It's not going to affect anybody. And I'm praying and I'm believing. And then like month seven, I'm like, oh, are we still doing this? When is this going away? I'm, I'm sure people have wanted, when do we go back to normal? When do we, all, all of these things, and there's worries and stress. You get worn out. You get exhausted. And in getting exhausted, oftentimes you begin to look around you. You begin, distract, begin to be distracted from the goal, from the race that God called you to run. It's interesting, Matthew chapter 14, 
It's a familiar, again, familiar passage of scripture, a story many of you probably heard so many times. Jesus starts walking out on the water. The disciples are in the boat. And Peter, of course, he sees Jesus walking. He's like, hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Right? Many people applaud Peter for his boldness. I don't think Jesus was like super impressed. I think he was kind of like, of course it's me. I just spent the last three years with you. You know, it's like, we've had dinner together. Like, of course it's me. And he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And you know the story. Peter gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk on the water. Now, what's interesting is the Bible says that the wind was blowing, and waves were all around Peter. And it says he began to look at the waves. And the moment he began to look at the waves, he began to sink. This is interesting. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. As soon as he began to look what, what was around him, he sank in it. I'm not telling you to turn a blind eye to what's happening in our culture, but I'm going to tell you this. If you look at your culture more than you look at your Savior, you'll sink in your culture. If you look at bad news more than you look at faith and good news and the Word of God, you will sink in the bad news that you're looking at. Wherever you look, you gravitate towards. Whatever you look at, you become. Whatever you look at, you behold, you move towards. Friends, we've got to be obsessed. We have got to be convinced, committed to His Word, committed to His people, and listen to this, committed to His presence. This is corporate presence, but you when you leave here, tomorrow when you're on your way to work, you've got to get in the presence of God. You've got to look at Jesus. I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Get a worship song. Play it in your car on the way to work, and whatever song they're singing, whatever lyrics they sing, pray it. Or turn off everything, phone, everything, and be quiet, and just tell God how you really feel. That's how David prayed. In the Psalms, he said, you left me. That's David praying. We thought it was like, just you're my rock and my salvation. No, read the whole thing. You let me kill my enemies, God. Slay them. And he's like, David, whoa. You got you to dial that back a little bit. God can handle your fear. God can handle your questions. God can handle your confusion. God can handle your anger. God can handle your bitterness. God can handle your lust. God can handle your addiction. God can handle your past. God can handle, he can handle it. This is what we do oftentimes is we just try to, because we're ashamed of what we're going through, we try to run the race without him. He wants to be brought into, this is what David did. He always brought God into the mess that he was in. He would say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? And then he'd say things like, you alone are my strength and my salvation. You will never let me fall. You will never let me strike my foot upon a stone. You are, he, it, 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 was, it was letting God into. Can I encourage you today to be and to go and to make the decision to be all in on this faith journey? It's not a part of your life. It is your life. You are on this earth to run this race, to give everything that you are to the kingdom of God and to the advancement of that kingdom. And if anyone is getting in your way, if anything is getting in your way, strip it off so that you can run. Strip it off, start running, and never quit. Run the race that God called you to run. Stop looking to the right and looking to the left. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run this race. 
This isn't a jog. This isn't a sprint. This is not a treadmill. This is not an elliptical. Friends, this is a marathon. And we've got to run together and run this thing to win. I'm not in this thing to lose. I'm not in this thing just to get by. I'm not in this thing to get exercise. I'm in this thing to advance the kingdom of God, to make sure that we populate heaven and we empty hell. I'm in this thing to make sure that our world and our cities know and understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Run the race 